Good morning, church. It's glad to be back with you today. Again, my name is Wesley Welch. There's some new faces out there that may not know who I am. My wife, Abby, is sitting right over here with our good friends, Clint and Kaylin. Uh, we do call this our home. This is our home church. This is where I grew up. And we are so thankful to be back here. Right now, we live in Raleigh, right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, where I attend seminary at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. My wife works as a speech therapist. We attend a church called Imago Day Church there, which means image of God for those of you who just wondered what language I was speaking. Um, and we, we love our church family. We love the, the ministries that we get to be a part of there. Uh, I'm a full-time student. I also work at Chick-fil-A full-time in uh, management and leadership development. Love it. You're probably wondering, how can you have that awesome beard and work at Chick-fil-A? Well, it's because my wife and I have been on vacation for two weeks. And anytime we go on vacation, the rule is that I don't shave, and I love it. So let me enjoy my beard for one more day, okay? I have to go back to work. So we spent two weeks in Italy, which was really fun. We saw a lot of great things. Italy is known for some of those beautiful landscape in the entire world. You know, the valleys of the Tuscan region. You can go down to the southern Amalfi Coast where we were able to stay a few days. You see beautiful places of God's earth. And then you see incredible pieces of history, right? We saw the Colosseum. We get to go to some of those most beautiful and massive cathedrals you could ever imagine. We got to see some of the most iconic pieces of artwork ever, ever displayed, whether it was Michelangelo's David or the Sistine Chapel, and all these profound things that we got to experience and witness. And as we were leaving the last night in Rome, I realized that there was something so much more profound that I was learning in the midst of being there than all of those great works of art with all the beauty that we saw and with all the great cathedrals that we were able to witness. And that was the night that we were leaving Rome, getting ready to travel back to the United States. I began to study the book of Acts once again to prepare myself for this particular sermon. And I began to think, how cool is it that as we're leaving Rome, this was the last place that the book of Acts records the gospel went. If you were to turn to Acts 28, you would see Paul in his final destination. Now, it wasn't Paul's goal to just make it to Rome. In fact, if you were to go to Romans 15, you would see that he wanted to go as far as Spain to take the gospel there. But we see in Acts 28, the last place that the gospel is able to go to is Rome. And we left Rome, the airport there, we traveled across the, the sea, made our way back to the United States, and it hit me. Thank God that the mission didn't die when Paul died in Rome. Thank God that the church just didn't stay in Rome and never break out of the boundaries of the Roman Empire. But in fact, just like we see here in Jerusalem, as the disciples are waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised to them that they would be his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. And we see in the book of Acts that this this progresses, right? It's almost as if like Acts 1-8 is a, like a table of content showing you what's going to happen in the book of Acts. And we see this gospel take root in Jerusalem and expand all the way to Rome. And it didn't stop there. It expanded past the boundaries of the Roman Empire until one day it would make its presence known here in Valdosta, Georgia. And today I want us to take hold of this profound expansion of the kingdom of God. Because here's the reality. That happens through the planting of churches. 
That happens because a group of believers decide they want to go somewhere else to plant a church, would then send people out from that church to go to a new region to plant a church. And we see the effects of that multiplication because we're here today worshiping in Valdosta, Georgia, when the church began in Jerusalem. Today I want us to revisit the last words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples. We read three different passages. We read Luke's account, and then again Luke's account in Acts chapter 1, which you notice they were very similar. And then we read in Matthew, what Matthew recounts as Jesus' last words to the disciples. And what I believe that Jesus is communicating in these passages is the mission for the church. And we can go back and we can look at these passages and we can point out some key statements, right? We're familiar with Matthew 28, that the imperative command there is to make disciples. And so we can say the goal of the church is to go and to make disciples of all nations. We can look at Luke 24, we can say the goal of the church is uh, said in verse 47 is to proclaim his name to all nations. And then we can look again in Acts 1 and we can see again that Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God to them getting them prepared to advance the kingdom of God. And then in Acts 1.8, that you will be my witnesses. We can say that the goal of the church is for us to be the witnesses of Christ to the nations. And I believe all these things are the goal and the mission of the church. But today, specifically, I want to refer to the topic of church planting as being a part of fulfilling that mission. Now, church planting, we, we need to define this term because... For some of you, you have no clue what I've been talking about the whole time I've been saying church planting. Some of you might have a different perspective on this. You might think church planting is just uh, another word for new churches or a a church that starts, right? The beginning of a church. That's not always the case because we know some churches don't always start on good terms. We have churches that start because of church splits. We have churches that start because of disgruntled members of one church thinking that they can just move out of that church and start a new church because that new church isn't going to have any problems, right? And so they just abandon that church to, to start a new church, and that's not necessarily church planning. I want to give you a definition of church planning. It's going to be on the screen. This particular definition was actually used by one of my um, best friends, Jordan Thigpen, up in seminary. He wrote a blog about church planning, and this is his terms or his uh, definition, so I wanted to use it because I think it's really good. This is a definition for church planting. It's the team process of communicating the gospel, seeing people repent and believe in Jesus, developing as his followers, congregationalizing, and repeating the process. And we'll break this down in just a moment because I think it's important for us to see how this kind of plays out in a church starting up. But before that, I have to let you know that this is not a new term. Church planting is not a new idea. It's not a new trend or a fad. It's actually a biblical one. We could follow this pattern in the book of Acts. You see the multiplication of the church happen in the book of Acts. Acts 2, the church begins in Jerusalem, right? And then we get to Acts 8. What happens? There's a great persecution that arises in Jerusalem. And ironically, the one who's kind of leading this persecution is the greatest church planner of all, Paul. And the church begins to scatter to the areas of Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus foretold. And in Acts 11, we see the church planted at Antioch and Cyprus and Phoenicia. And then you go to Acts 16, you see that it reaches Macedonia. And Timothy and Erastus are there to help start churches in Macedonia. You go to Acts 17, you see Jason is a disciple or a follower of Jesus who's there to help establish a church in Thessalonica. You go to Acts 18, you see that the church is established in a city called Corinth 
where Crispus and Titus Justice are there to help lead the church. Acts 18 and 19, you see that the church is started in Ephesus with the help of Priscilla and Aquila. And then all the way to Acts 28, we see Paul teaching about the kingdom of God and eventually starting churches in Rome. So it's a biblical thing that happened. It's not a new idea. It's something that is rooted in the book of Acts. In fact, I would argue that it is the most used form of evangelism in the book of Acts. Now, there's other forms of evangelism used, right? Pentecost, there's this massive conversion that happens because Peter delivers this incredible five-minute sermon. Yeah, I don't know, it's that short, right? When you read it, it's pretty short. He delivers this awesome sermon, and, and mass conversion happens, and the Lord adds their number. We see later in the book of Acts that Paul is dialoguing with King Agrippa, and he uses his personal testimony as a way to communicate the gospel. We see uh, one-on-one encounters of evangelism with, like, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, where he's discipling this young man, trying to get him to understand what the Word of God is, is saying to him. But ultimately, when you look at the, the pattern established in the entire book of Acts, this is the pattern. It's sharing the gospel and establishing new churches. They go hand in hand. As the gospel is being shared in these regions, new churches are established. And those churches then would multiply into more churches. And so it's this process, it's the repeating of the process that allowed the church to grow. Now this multiplication also finds its roots in Matthew 28. We just read the Great Commission, something that we're probably all familiar with, right? It says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Now, the reason I say this is because there's two hints in the Great Commission that lead us to believe that church planning is part of fulfilling that mission. The first is this. It says, baptize them and teach them. Both of those commands are given to churches. Read the rest of the book of Acts and, and the letters Paul writes to the churches. We are to baptize and we are to teach the word. There's two things that categorize their marks of a church. And so as Jesus is giving this mission. He's saying, go make disciples. When you do that, you're establishing churches that will baptize new believers and will teach them all that I've commanded you. And the second hint is kind of a logical one, that as we make more disciples, we need more churches. As the disciples grew, they needed more churches. And so not only was it expanding geographically, but locally it was expanding. More churches were needed because more disciples were being made. Now, going back to our definition here of church planting, I think a good way to show you how this definition works is to tell you a story of a church that was planted roughly 30 years ago. And so I'm going to break this definition down by telling a story of a church that was planted about 30 years ago. First, this church was a team process. Okay, let's, let's take those three words first. It was a team process. A long time ago, roughly, like I said, 30 years ago, there was a church that decided as a congregation and as the leadership of the church that they wanted to plant another church, that there was an area of town, of the particular town they lived in, that needed a new gospel witness, that needed a church in that area to minister to those communities. And so faithful members of this local church decided that they would uproot their lives and that they would plant their lives in this community in order to share the gospel in order to be a light in that community. And you had people from this church who had been members for years, who had spent their lives in this church, who decided that they would leave this church to start this new work of God. You had people who would leave behind their family and their grandchildren to start this new work of God. 
And these faithful members decide that they want to leave here to plant their lives here to start a new church. And so it was a team process. It wasn't just one person. It was a group of people who decided that they would do this. The second part of the definition, they were to communicate the gospel, seeing people repent and believe in Jesus. This categorizes a church plant, right? A church plant is not just a church to gather other church members from other churches. A church plant is to reach the unchurched. And so this core group of people decided that they would move into this area to reach the people who needed a church. And they were actually very specific about this. I remember listening to an interview of one of the particular core group members of this church plant say that, look, if someone came to their church and already had a church home, they would actually discourage them. They would tell them, hey, go back to your church home. We're actually trying to plant this church for the people in this community who need a church. And they were passionate about this. Again, I can recount another gentleman who was interviewed about the beginning of this church, and he would say how passionate they were about visitation. Right? They would go house to house and knock on doors and meet with people and spend hours on the phones with them, explaining the gospel, teaching them about Jesus, try, pleading with them to come to their church. It was a church for those who needed a church. It was a church for the lost, for people who needed to repent and believe in Jesus and see the gospel. The next part of the, our definition here is they develop as his followers. This church plant that we're talking about not only preached the word of God, but studied the word of God. They invested in community. In fact, I can remember one of the uh, early members of this church tell me in an interview one time that they weren't focused on the message being delivered. They weren't necessarily focused on the gathering of a worship service. They were actually focused on Sunday school when they started. The church was actually focused on the teaching and training up of leaders. They were passionate about seeing people learn the word of God. They were developing people as his followers. And so as they had these people coming to their church who were repenting and believing in Jesus and getting baptized and growing in the knowledge of who Jesus is, they were developing people as his followers. I can recount one other guy telling me that he felt so unqualified to lead a Sunday school class. The pastor called him and said, hey, we need leaders. We need someone to lead this class. And he said, I'm not, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not qualified for this. But faithfully, he did it. And he was calculating one day for me. He says, you know, out of all the people that have come to that class, I believe my wife and I have served over a 1,000 people, teaching them the Word of God. How amazing is that? That because he was faithful to wanting to develop people as his followers, this gentleman decided he wanted to take the Sunday school class on and in turn, over years and years, served almost over a 1,000 people. And so again, we have this team process, a group of people who move to another area to plant a church. They communicate the gospel effectively in their area, seeing people repent and believe in Jesus. They develop those people as his followers, and then they congregationalize. They begin to meet. Now, if you know anything about a church startup or a mission church as it used to be called, church planning now is the term we're using. Uh, typically, we don't have very big budgets, right? We don't have buildings like this. You just can't build up a, a new church building when you start a new church. And so they had to find a place to meet. And the good news is that when we read the Word of God, we realize that the church is a building, right? It's a group of people. So you don't have to have a building like this to, to congregationalize and meet as a church. 
So this particular church plant was blessed with a school, an elementary school, who would let them meet in their cafeteria on Sunday mornings. This was a lot of hard work. You get the joy of coming in here and the lights are turned on, the stage is set, everything's clean. All you have to do is come in here and sit here and enjoy the service. That's not the case when you're meeting in a school cafeteria. You have to come in early and you have to push everything away and you have to set up what would be an audience to, to receive the message. You have to set up the chairs, you have to set up the classrooms, you have to set up the nursery, all the stuff. And then after the service is over, you then have to tear all that down, clean it, and leave it just like you found it. And they did it every single week. I can recount one gentleman who I was hearing talk about this work, and he says, you know what was so crazy about this? We worked hard each and every week to set up and tear down for that service, and I never considered it work. So there's so much joy in us meeting together what God was doing. It was so incredible that it didn't even feel like we were doing work. Man, my mother would love volunteers like that in the nursery. We're so overjoyed with what God was doing that as they met as a congregation, they were working hard to see people come to know Jesus. And the last part of our definition here is repeating the process. Now, if there's one part of this definition that this particular church has not quite gotten over the hump with, it's probably repeating the process. They did repeat the process a little bit, though. Early on in this church, as they were planted, they sent out missionaries. They sent out people who worked for parachurch organizations. One person who ended up starting an orphanage, another person who who worked for another Bible printing um, organization. And and they were doing great things, sending people out, advancing the kingdom. And they actually did help start one more church in the area. They were called to repeat the process. And this is a really important part of the puzzle here. Because we don't start new churches just so that church can grow and never expand. We start new churches so that that church would then repeat the process to start another church. And then one day, that church would repeat the process to start another church. And then that church one day would repeat the process to start another church so that the gospel continued to go forth to the nations. Now, as we've defined this now, and and you've kind of seen how it works in a church plant situation, I want to point out three things from this passage that I believe are reasons why we should consider church planting. That's Primitive Road. Why you should consider being a part of church planting. Now, again, what I'm not saying here, I'm not saying that each individual here needs to go plant and start a new church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we should probably, as a church, consider why we should advance the kingdom of God outside of the walls of Primitive Road. Okay? So here's some reasons why. Number one, Jesus promised to build his church. That's reason number one. You look in Acts chapter 1 again in verse 8, you see this hinted, right? Jesus tells his disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will be his witnesses. Right? It's a promise that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we can read about that promise. We're evidence of that promise here today. We're evidence that the gospel didn't stay in Jerusalem, but that Jesus did build his church out from Jerusalem. We also see in Matthew 16, 18, that Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The imagery there is extremely important for us to grasp today. What Jesus is saying is that the church is on the offense. The church has the sure victory. 
he's going to build his church. And the gates of hell are on the defense, much like a city gate that's about to be breached and broken through and completely destroyed. We are to be the ones going. We are the ones to spread the light and have confidence in this, that Jesus is building his church and he will continue to build his church. And so we can take joy in church planting, knowing that God's going to continually build his church. Elsewhere, Jesus describes himself as being the head of the church. He is the bridegroom who has laid down his life for his bride. He loves the church, and he will see it until finally, as we see in Revelation 5, he is the one worthy to take the scroll. He is the only one worthy to bring all of history to its final consummation. So we can trust that Jesus is going to build his church, and we can take part in this mission because we have that sure victory and promise. Point number two. The Spirit empowers us to expand the church. So we can trust that Jesus is going to build the church, but we here, collectively, know that the Holy Spirit is going to empower us to expand the church. Look again back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The disciples here are waiting. They're told in Luke, at the end of the book of Luke, that they're going to wait, right? Again, here Luke writes in Acts chapter 1 that they're going to wait until the Spirit comes upon them. And when the Spirit comes upon them, they will be his witnesses. They will begin to advance the kingdom of God. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers our witness, not our words and not who we are. It's as if we are called to be the witnesses of the world as ordinary people doing ordinary things with extraordinary power. I'll say that again. It's as if we are called to be the witnesses to the world, and we are ordinary people doing ordinary things with extraordinary power. That's who the disciples were. They were just ordinary people. If you were to go through the book of Acts and see the people that helped start churches, they were just ordinary people. I can recount right now the church of Philippi. You have a a, a demon-possessed slave girl. You have a lady who sells fine purple goods. And then you have a a guard, a centurion. And those people collectively start a church. God can use ordinary people doing ordinary things because of the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit moving through us. Later, just actually a few chapters later from this, you'd see John and Peter. And they were called uneducated common men. Uneducated, ordinary men. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty ordinary sometimes. Um, When we were in Italy, we realized that things are really expensive there. (laughs) We went to this place called Florence, and um, we saw the real deal stuff. Now, my wife and I, we do like to shop, but we shop at outlet malls for a reason. Um, we get that discounted price, and we look for the sales tax. But in this particular sound, or town, there was um, Gucci, Armani, Prada, all the nicest places in the world. And there's people coming in and out of there with all of this lavish goods, and I just felt like an ordinary person because I could not even afford to walk in there. I feel ordinary all the time. Sometimes I feel uneducated. Quite often I feel uneducated. Maybe you do too, and that's good. God calls you as an uneducated, ordinary person to be his witnesses. Because it's not about you, it's about the Spirit working inside of you. The Spirit empowers us to be ordinary people, doing ordinary things, going to work, 
hanging out with our neighbors, enjoying recreational activities with gospel intentionality empowered by the Spirit. That's what he calls us to do. We don't have to be incredible pastors with all the nicest stuff. We just got to be faithful people who allow the Spirit to move inside of us. So this is the simple fact. If the gospel is to go anywhere, the messengers must carry it. And so the reason we plant churches is because the gospel needs to go out and God has entrusted us to be his witnesses, to be his messengers, to make disciples of all nations. And so we join in on this mission because the Spirit's the one who's going to empower us to expand the church, not ourselves. And the last point is this. All people need the gospel. So we can trust in Jesus' promise that he'll build his church. That's why we join in on the mission. We can trust that the Spirit is the one that's going to empower us to be his witnesses. But our motivation is because people need the gospel. We've already talked about it today, but my wife and I were in Italy during this week, and we were hearing the news a a little bit delayed because of the time change of everything that was happening in our country. There was a lot of heartbreak. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos, a lot of sin. And I sat on my phone any moment I had Wi-Fi to read comments and blogs, mainly from Christians, about the shootings, the loss of life. Some people were extremely compassionate. Others, surprisingly, were very ignorant and just rude, honestly. I don't have all the answers to what's happened, what's gone on. But this is something I can say with 100% clarity. That what this reveals about our nation and about our world is that we need the gospel. And that we have a long way to go in advancing the kingdom of God to our neighbors. People need the gospel. In this community, in other countries, in other areas, people need the gospel. We're called to be kingdom-minded people. Not just perimeter people. There's a difference. We're fixated on the kingdom. We're going to be people who are going to look outside of these walls. We're going to have a deep conviction for the loss. We're going to be wanting to boldly and courageously share the gospel with our neighbors, with those we meet at the marketplace, with those we work with. But if we're just concerned about perimeter, we're always going to think inwardly. We're never going to think outside these walls. Be kingdom-minded people who have a deep conviction for the loss who want to share the gospel with integrity and humility and courage and boldness. Now, as we kind of come to a close here, we were talking about the church plant earlier, the story of the church plant. It's a very dear story close to my heart, and it should be close to yours as well. I saw some of your faces, so you knew who I was talking about. The church that I was describing is this church right here. That was the story of Perimeter's beginning. Perimeter was an intentional church plant from First Baptist Church, Valdosta, Georgia, 30 years ago, in which a group of people decided they wanted to plant a church in this area of town because this area of town needed gospel witness. The communities around us needed a church that would preach and teach the gospel. And so faithful members gathered together to start this church, and they did. They started in WG9 Elementary School. 
Every week they set up and tear down, set up and tear down, proclaiming the word of God until finally God provided this land for them to start with that building and then eventually build this one as well. And during an interview of one of the people who was a founding member of of this particular church, my good friend and and one of the guys I look up to, Brother John Wiggins, he said this, this quote, and I want to read this quote directly to you because it is extremely powerful and it is something that I've held on to as God has taken me and Abby through a, a transition time, a calling on our lives. Here's what Brother John Wiggins said, and he was kind of emotional at this point talking about this church. He said, now young people, I want to stop right there because immediately you're probably thinking, okay, he's talking to the college students and he's talking to the high schoolers over here. Now, if you know Brother John, when, when this video was filmed, he was, he was still a pretty old man. So I would suggest that probably 90% of us are young people considered to, to Brother John. So we'll just, we'll just go ahead and say that the majority of this church, you need to listen right now, okay? He says, now young people, remember God is counting on you just like he used us. It's time to pass the torch to you, to carry the mission but that does not mean that we're going to be a bunch of lazy bums. I love that about him, right? He talks about, it's time for us to pass the torch for you guys to carry on the mission, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. He says, nowhere in God's work can I find that we retire from the mission to sit on the front porch in a rocking chair because God can always use you. Love that. And he says this, it's time to move forward, to look to the future, with all our energy for the time we have left because it's God's time anyways. It's time to pass the torch. I believe what Brother John was trying to communicate to us is that we have started something here at Perimeter. There was a, a goal and a mission to plant a church in this area of town to reach these communities. But the mission doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop with these four walls. It doesn't stop with this congregation. The mission continues Brother John says, it's time to to pass that torch on. Who's going to take hold of that torch and continue to run with the mission? As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about what God has called me and my wife to do. We're willing to take that torch and run with it. And God has been working in our hearts for quite a while now about where we would minister and, and where we would pastor and what God would do with our lives as we've been in seminary. And for some reason, a city, Washington, D.C., continued to be pressed upon our hearts. So I want to share just briefly with you what God is doing in our lives to fulfill the mission, how God is using us to continue to take that torch and run with it. Roughly about a year ago, God began to work in my heart about where we would minister in as soon as we graduated from seminary. I knew I wanted to plant churches. I knew I wanted to not just plant one church, but be a part of the multiplication of, of multiple churches started over my lifetime. And we began to think of what, where God would use us and how God would use us. And these passages of Scripture that we've read today were, were passages that I read. I thought about, God, how could you use me to to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth? Does that mean we need to go overseas? Does that means we need to go to an unreached people group in the Middle East? How, how God, are you going to use us to fulfill your mission? 
And time and time again, he brought us back to cities in the United States, and particularly the city of Washington, D.C. And so there's a few reasons why we chose to plant a church there. The first is that the need is great. And we've already shared this, that all people need the gospel. And, and if anything, what we need to realize that the need is great everywhere. The need's great here. The need is great in every single community. But specifically in Washington, D.C., God began to reveal to us what a great need they, they need for churches there. The city of Washington, D.C., the actual district, is a center of urbanization and has had an increase in population over the last 10 years. Over the last 20 years, though, many people moved out into the suburbs. So what happened was congregations and churches moved with them. And so now you have this void of the city center of no churches and increased population. New developments were happening all around the city. People were living there. People were planning their lives there, and there's no churches to serve them. In fact, this slide will kind of help you see the need for churches there. There are roughly 6.162 million people living in the D.C. area. Now, that, that includes the suburbs as well. So it's a big population, right? There are roughly 700 SBC congregations right now serving that population. That means that there's one Southern Baptist church for every 8,803 people in D.C. Now compare that to the city that we live in right now, where there's one Southern Baptist church for every 1,800 people. It's a big difference. And I would argue that that is not even a good representation of the amount of darkness that is in Washington, D.C., in the city center, it's less than 8% evangelical. In the whole entire suburb, including the, the suburbs and the city center, it's somewhere around 12% evangelical. People aren't getting the gospel there. And there's a great need for gospel ministry. The city is full of international people coming from all over the world to work there, to work at embassies, to find education and refuge. The city itself is considered the most powerful, most influential city in the entire world. We know it politically as being that way, but it's also a center for business and, and culture. And in fact, if you walk the streets of D.C., you really learn that it is one of those cities that drives the culture of our country. A lot that's happening in D.C., it happens first there, then it expands out into the greater culture of our country. And so we saw that there was a great need there, but we prayed that God would send us a team of people who would also fill that need. And this is where it is so clear when God calls you to something and providentially he just makes it happen. Like there were some nights where I was up and I just said, God, this is too easy. Like you're, you're putting people in our lives too fast. Like this is happening too fast. We need to slow down because I just can't believe that this is all falling into place like you planned. We met a couple named Jordan and Macy Thigpen. You can go ahead and put the next slide up there. Uh, this is the team of church planners that we're planning with. Jordan and Macy Thigpen are on the left there. That's my wife and myself. We love blue, apparently. I'm wearing the same shirt. I just realized that. And, um, and the guy in the middle is Ben Palka. And so uh, Jordan and Macy Thigpen came into our lives by a series of events. In fact, it goes back to when my wife was a freshman here at Ballas State University. When she came to Ballas State as a freshman, Macy was her roommate for one semester. And that may seem insignificant, right? They were roommates for the first semester. Macy got a little homesick. She decided to go back to Georgia Southern, closer to her home. And my wife and Macy lost uh, connection. They didn't talk after that. They literally just didn't see each other, didn't talk. Well, one day, Abby was coming home from work, now that we live in, in North Carolina. And now she was driving into our apartment complex. She looks over and sees a familiar face, and it's Macy's mom moving her and her husband, Jordan, into our apartment complex, literally right next door to where we live. 
Like, that's just crazy. That's not a coincidence, y'all. That is crazy, right? So we get out, we meet them, and I meet Jordan, and we become best friends with them and literally hit it off immediately. Come to find out, they moved there with the exact intent of planting a church in Washington, D.C. They had no other reason for being there. They literally just wanted to plant a church in Washington, D.C. So we begin to pray with them, and again, it was one of those uh, situations where Jordan and I would talk about planting a church together, but it was almost too good to be true, and so we wouldn't commit to it for the longest time. We'd pray about it. We'd say, you know, this would be cool, but we'll just kind of like hypothetically, what if you planted a church, and what if I planted a church, and what if we just ended up in the same area? And it was crazy, and our wives were just like, hey guys, hello, God has put you together for a reason. Like, let's, let's listen to God and how he has providentially put you guys together. And so eventually, Jordan and I decided we want to join together to minister and to be missionaries in Washington, D.C. And then fast forward about uh, six months, and this gentleman in the middle, Ben Palka, he's from Buffalo, New York, so he's our, he's our New Yorker, he's our, our northern person moving into D.C. with us, moves back to Raleigh. Ben was pursuing a postgraduate degree at Southeastern. He had already got his MDiv, and he was pursuing his THM, moving back to Raleigh to the church that we were a part of, which he helped plant, actually. So the church that we're part of, he helped start six years ago. Ben moves back with the intent of gathering a team together from our local church to plant a church in Washington, D.C. I had no clue this was happening. Jordan had no clue this was happening. Ben moves back to Raleigh, immediately begins to pray, God, send me people to go to D.C. with me. And the church says, continue to pray for this. God's going to send you people. And about two or three weeks later, after he began praying that, Jordan called me up and said, hey, let's go get ice cream. I want you to meet this guy. And so we go get ice cream. We meet Ben. Immediately we hit it off. We, we, we have the same vision for the city. We have the same vision for what a church should look like. And we begin to pray and meet together. And over the context of months and months of prayer and meeting, we decide finally this spring that this is the team that's going to move to D.C. together in 2017 to start uh, a ministry there. Basically, we're going to go in as missionaries trying to gather people to start a church. God put this team together. It was nothing of our doing. There's God's providence and his hand over the situation in so many other ways that I could tell you, but this is just a snapshot of what God has done. And we are a church that believes that all we want to do is to live, share, and proclaim the good news of the King Jesus. We just want to live, share, and proclaim the good news of King Jesus in our city. We want to be an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom in the midst of a kingdom that is dark. We want to be a light, a city there, a city on a hill for the people who need the gospel. And so God has providentially put this team together to go and plant a church in Washington, D.C. We have the full support of our church, the full support of a lot of other churches. Um, We are gathering people currently to go with us. And uh, we are so excited for what God is doing. And if you want to know more information, we can keep you updated. Was my email in the bulletin or no? You didn't put that. Okay. I don't know if we communicate that well. That's all right. Um, But you can always come and talk to me afterwards if you want more information. If you just want to know what we're doing or why we chose D.C., I can elaborate even more of why we chose that area. Again, it's not particularly the area that matters because we see the need everywhere. God drew us to this area, and he might draw you somewhere else. But the reality is, will you be willing to go? And so as we close, I, I want us to think about that. God might not be calling you to come to D.C. with us. He's not gonna, he might not be calling you to plant a church or to be a pastor. But he might be calling you to go to a new neighborhood in this town to minister. He might be calling you to a different vocation, 
to minister. He might be calling you just across the street to your neighbors right now. Will you listen to what he's calling you to do? Because the reality is, the mission that was given to the early church is the same mission we have today. That is to proclaim his name to all nations. That is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That is to be his witnesses, empowered by the Spirit, until the ends of the earth. And that's what perimeter, guys, that's what we should be doing. Here locally, figuring out how to expand outside of these walls. But the goal is the same whether you're in D.C., whether you're in Africa, where you're here. The goal is the same, that we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ until he returns. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the many people in my life who have invested in me. Thank you for the leadership of Brian and all that he has done for me. Thank you for the, the friendship of Clint and many others who are always there to, to encourage me. Lord, I love this church. I love the men who have gone before me, Brother Frank Christian, uh, Brother John Wiggins, my grandfather, my dad, and others who have invested in this church for a really long time. I've seen fruit from their investment. God, I love this church, but my prayer for this church is that they would not settle, that they would not just fall into the temptation to just enjoy what they have now, but they would heed Brother John's vision to look forward, to look to the future, to continue the mission, to find new ways to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city and other cities around the world. God, I pray that you would refresh our hearts today. Bring us back to the simple fact that, God, you have said you would build your church. And we can have confidence in that. Bring us back to the reality that it is not we who do anything, but it is your spirit who moves through us. God, break our hearts for the people who need to hear the gospel in our communities, in our nation, and around the world. And may there be several men who would stand up in this church and say, I will go and proclaim the gospel wherever God leaves me. May there be several women in this church, no matter their age, who would say, I will go wherever the gospel is needed and proclaim it, because that is what we're called to do. Rise up, men and women from this church. May this church be an outpost of the kingdom. May this church be a light into the world. I pray all this in your name. Amen.